Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last couple weeks, we've been on a series called The Church Is, and we've been talking about, I bet you can't guess what we've been talking about, the church, amen? Been talking about the church, and uh, so I wanted to give just a quick uh, review from last week of some of the things we talked about. Um, the, one of the first things we talked about is this. We said the church is not a building filled with the presence of God. The church is a people filled with the presence of God. Again, the church is not a building filled with the presence of God. The church is a people filled with the presence of God. In Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 people, 3,000 people who were spiritually dead that came to life in that moment, in that day, on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people came to life. And it says that that day, the church was born. Now, I want to say this. There was no pews to be seen. There was no bulletins being handed out as people were coming in and sitting down. There was no communion trays. There was no uh, podium to preach from. There was just 120 people that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of that 120 people being filled with the Holy Spirit was that 3,000 people who were dead came to life. 3,000 people who were lost in their sins and their failures learned that they could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 3,000 people who had a heritage in Adam found their heritage in Jesus instead. And a result of that was from 120 people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? The programs, the services, and all of these things we do at church are important. But all of them are just shells if there's not a people filled with the Holy Spirit. All the programs, all the things we do are important. But if there's not the presence of God in those things, then it's just a shell of a program. It's just a church service with no power. But what gives it power is a people who are filled with the presence of God. Amen. If we want a church service filled with the presence of God, then we need to be a people filled with the presence of God. Colossians 1 tells us that the great mystery that was hidden from all of the ages before was that Christ is now in us, the hope of glory. You know, in the Old Testament, God was among people. In the Old Testament, God actually worked through people. But now, because of Jesus... God is in us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of God. That the church isn't the dwelling place of God. The building is not the dwelling place of God. But we as the people of God are the dwelling place of God. That God lives inside of us. We are the temple of God. So God is looking for a church building, not, not a church building to host his presence, before people to host his presence. Amen. The church, this is the other thing we talked about a little bit. The church is not a social club for religious people. 
Let me say that again. The church is not a social club for religious people. We're not the Lions Club, right? We're not, what's the other club that has those cool hats that rides the little cars in the fairs? Shriner, we're not Shriners people. Although a cool hat might, might go somewhere, I don't know. Maybe we can get some church hats. But we're not a religious, a social club for religious people. The church is the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. John chapter 17, verse 18 says, Jesus is speaking, he's praying actually. This is the night before his crucifixion. And he's praying to God in front of his disciples. And he says this, he says, I have commissioned them to represent me just as I, you have commissioned me to represent you. So what's he saying? He's saying, just as I came to this earth, Jesus is saying, just as I came to this earth to represent what the Father is like, now I commission them, talking about us, to represent me on the earth. That we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are so the hands and feet of Jesus that he has actually anointed us with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That the same spirit that was on Jesus when he laid his hands on the sick and saw them recover. The same spirit that was in Jesus when he called to the dead body of Lazarus and he came out of the grave. The same spirit that was in Jesus as he preached to the multitudes. That same spirit quickens our mortal bodies. And we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in us. And therefore we have the same power to represent Jesus on the earth. So we have a responsibility as the church to represent Jesus. And we are filled with the same spirit he was in order to fulfill that responsibility. What does the body do? What does the body do? If we're the body of Christ, what does the body do? The body obeys the head, doesn't it? Right? A healthy person, a healthy individual doesn't wake up one morning and its arm decides, you know what? I'm going to take a vacation and do what I want to today. Right? And it just does whatever it wants and just ignores the head. No, that doesn't happen. What your head says, your body does. Right? What your head says, your arm does. If your head tells it to write, guess what the hand's going to do? It's not going to rebel. It's going to do what the head says. The only time that this does not happen is when there is a disease of some kind in the body. Some, there's some individuals who have different types of diseases that do cause the body to act on its own accord. And to not listen to what the head is saying. And that disease causes the body to do what it wants to do rather than what the head tells it to do. And there is a disease that sometimes creeps into the body of Christ. And it's called sin. Sin is a disease that creeps sometimes into the body of Christ and causes us to disobey the head. That word sin is the word hamartia. The, the uh, Strong's Concordance says that hamartia means to miss the mark. In Greek literature, that word was used to describe the fatal flaw of the hero. That hamartia was the kryptonite to the hero. It was the fatal flaw. 
The word hamartia is actually a compound word. The first one is the word ha, which means without. The second word is meros, which means meaning or form. So the word together actually means to be without meaning or form. That sin points to a distorted identity. Sin points to a distorted identity or bankrupt identity. But God has found the cure. Amen. The cure for his body is the cure of righteousness. That though we have fallen and sinned, that he has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that it was not something we work for, but it was a gift given to us. And God injected into us the healing power of righteousness. And now we are not identified by our failures, but we are identified rather by the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so now because we are righteous, we are as we ought to be. And he has healed the body. And now the body can obey the commands of the head. Amen. The church is not a social club for religious people, but rather the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The last thing we talked about, and this one I'm going to expand on today, this morning. The church is not a Sunday morning service. You know, I've said this the past couple weeks, that if you were to ask the average person, what is church? I bet you most of them would say that church is 10 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning in a building where you have worship, communion, they collect a tithe check, and somebody preaches at you. And that is not the church. That is a service for the church. And it is important. The assembling of ourselves together is important and needed. But that is not the church. That the church is a fiery community. The church is the body of Christ. That we, the church is not a building or a service. The church is a people. The church is a people. You and I are the church. So the church is not a Sunday morning service. The church is a fiery community. In Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost, when Pentecost came and the 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and Peter stood up and preached to the people there in the city, he was not doing so to build a big church. He was doing that. And what was produced was not a big church, but was a fiery community. There were 3,000 people added to the church that day. But the point wasn't that there were 3,000 new people that filled out visitor cards. There were 3,000 new people that the pastor, that Peter could then go to his pastor buddies and brag that said, hey, we had 3,000 new people at our church last week. That wasn't the point. The point was that there are 3,000 people who pass from death to life. Amen? There are 3,000 people who found their identity as sons and daughters of God. They were not building a big church, but a fiery community. And when people encountered this community, when people encountered the 120 who were filled with the Holy Spirit, something came alive on the inside of them. Amen? Amen? 
something came alive on the inside of them. John 13, 35 says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That they will know you're my disciples not because you laid your hands on the sick and saw them recover. It doesn't say that they'll know you're my disciples because you can preach a good message or you can sing a good worship song. It says that you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples because you have love for one another. That love is the indicator that we are his. That love is the fruit that we are his. Amen. And it was this kind of community. It was this kind of community in Acts chapter two. A group of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and who loved one another. That caused 3,000 people to come to life that day. It's this kind of community that I want to see continue to grow here in our church. Amen. You know, I want people to come to Harmony and I, obviously I'm a preacher, so I want the message to affect them, right? I don't want to get up here and talk for no reason. I don't want to prepare all week a message and it, it go over everyone's heads and not make a difference. I want preaching to affect people. I want worship to affect people. And I believe all of those things do, that God moves in all of those things. And there's power in the word and there's power in worship. There's power in all of those things. But listen, I don't want people just to come to Harmony Christian Church and only experience a good message and only experience worship. I want them to come to Harmony and be affected by the community in this place. That they're not affected just by what's happening on the platform, but they're affected by what's happening in the pews. Or in our case, the, the chairs. That they would see the love that we have for one another. That they would see how we treat one another. How we honor one another. How we go to bat for one another when we're going through hard times. How we rejoice with one another when something good happens. I want them to see a fiery community who so loves one another that it affects them deeply. That they would see the love we have for one another and by that they would know that we are his disciples, amen? That they will see our love for one another and say, I felt God in that place. Not just because the message was good, not just because the worship was good, but because the people there loved one another and they saw the love of God, not from the platform, but from the pews. You know that scripture, by this they will know that you are my disciples if they have love for one another. There's a preceding verse to that in John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now it's interesting that Jesus says here that this is a new commandment because in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, it says multiple times to love one another. You can go through and find all kinds of scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, where God gives the command to love one another. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, this is a new commandment. I give you. Why is it a new commandment? Because in every other time that God tells us to love one another, it says to love one another as you love yourself. 
But now God comes along and he says, I want you to love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. That Jesus ups the ante on us, doesn't he? He raises the bar. Now we don't just get to love each other as we love ourselves, but now we have to love each other as he has loved us. And how has God loved us? He has loved us unconditionally. He has loved us and our sins and our failures. It says that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he has loved us unconditionally. And it is that kind of love it is that kind of love that he wants us to love each other with. That he loved us to the point that he lays down his life for us. And now he says, I don't want you just to love others as you love yourself. How many of you know that we're not as nice to ourselves in our sins and our failures as Christ is to us? I don't know about you, but when I mess up, I'm not like, hey, it's okay, buddy. Don't worry about that, right? There's not a whole lot of mercy for myself, right? So to love one another as Christ, or as we love ourselves, probably doesn't always look that great, right? There's not a lot of patience for that kind of love. But now God says, you have to love each other, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. And God has all the patience in the world for us. He has all the patience in the world for us. And his mercy towards us is never ending. His never ending. And that's the kind of love we have for one another. The kind of love that he has for us. It's this kind of love that when others see it, they know that we are his disciples. It's this kind of love in a community that brings people to life. And it's this kind of love for one another that we read about throughout the scriptures. I want to give you some examples of this kind of love through the scriptures. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the stories instead of reading them. In Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, we read a familiar story. Jesus has already become kind of well-known at this point in time. And he is at a home, at the home of somebody, one of his disciples, I believe. And he's preaching to the people. And the crowd begins to gather a crowd of the people of the city, but also the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious teachers all gather to hear Jesus speaking. So Jesus is in the doorway of this house and he's speaking to this crowd of people. In the back of the crowd, there's this group of people who are carrying their friend on a mat. Now the friend is laying on a mat because he is a paralytic and he cannot walk. He's paralyzed. And so the friends have heard that Jesus has healed people. He's, they've heard that the power that Jesus carries can heal people. And, and so they, they get their friend and they begin making their way to Jesus. As they begin making their way to Jesus, they see this crowd of people and they try to push their way through the crowd to no success. With no success. So they begin looking around, how can we get our friend to Jesus? So they look up and they see that there's a way to the roof of the house that Jesus is preaching in. So they make their way up onto the roof and their friends begin breaking apart the roof, clawing through the roof to be able to get their friend 
down to Jesus. So they get through the roof. They lower their friend down to Jesus. Obviously, this causes a disruption. Jesus stops preaching and all the eyes and the attention are now on this paralytic man being lowered through this roof. So Jesus looks back at the people or looks back at the, the man and then he looks up at the friends who have brought the paralytic man to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, he says, I see their faith. I see their faith. Then he looks at the man and he says, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Then he goes on and the Pharisees obviously question some things. And so Jesus says, what's, what's more difficult to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? And he looks at the man and he tells him, take your mat, get up and walk. And the man who was paralyzed is healed and was brought in on a mat, but ends up walking out on his own two feet. But the point of the story I want to make today is this. Jesus doesn't look at the paralytic and say, because of your faith. He looks at him, the friend, and he looks at the, he looks at the paralytic, and he looks at his friends, and he says, because of their faith. Now listen, it doesn't say that the paralytic didn't have any faith, Right? It's not that the paralytic didn't have faith. It's that the faith of the paralytic and the faith of his friends combined, that was the faith that Jesus saw in the people. He saw faith, the faith of a few friends that said, I know you have faith to the paralytic, but I know you're in a position where you can't walk here. So let me carry you. This is what his friend said. He says, I know that you have faith, but you're in a position where you can't walk. So let me carry you. Let me put your weight on my back and carry you to his feet. It may get heavy, but I'm here for you. It may be tough to push through, but I'm going, but I'm willing to go anywhere with you. We may have to be unconventional and look like a fool to other people, but I'll be a fool with you to make sure you get to wholeness. And I want to tell you, you may not be paralyzed in this room physically, but all of us have been to a point in our lives where we have been paralyzed spiritually. There's some in the room here this morning that, well, for instance, I'm sure Elizabeth and Ty feel a little paralyzed with the news they just received. I'm sure that there are others in this room who are dealing with situations in Florida that you feel paralyzed, that you feel like, you know, I have faith, but I just feel like I can't get anywhere. I can't walk, that I'm paralyzed. And you know what it takes? It takes a community of believers that say, you know what? I know you can't walk right now, but I'll carry you. I know that you can't get to his feet on your own, so I'll put your weight on my back. That you're not going to bear this burden alone, but I will bear the burden with you. That they are, we may have to be unconventional, we may have to tear through some roofs, but I'm going to make sure that you are at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to make sure that you are at a place where you can receive your wholeness. This is what a fiery community looks like. This is what loving others like Jesus loved us look, looks like. That when our family, when our friends 
are paralyzed, that we are willing to carry them and to do whatever it takes to combine our faith with their faith and get them to a place of wholeness. No matter what it takes, no matter what crowds we have to push through, no matter how long I have to carry you, that I'm willing to bear the weight with you. This is what a fiery community looks like. There's another story in the Bible in Acts chapter 12, where Paul, well, let's start here. Herod, King Herod had just imprisoned James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. And James, or Herod had James beheaded and killed. He was the first disciple. He was the first one of the 12 that was martyred for the gospel. And it says in the Bible that Herod saw how killing James, um, that, that by killing James, that the people, the community loved that he did that. And so since Herod's, you know, a crowd pleaser and, and a man of the people, he thought, you know, I'll take Peter into imprisonment next. So he takes Peter and throws him in prison. When Peter gets in prison, it says that his tribe, his community, the believers that were with him, it says that they immediately went to a season of intercession, that they began praying over Peter. The night before Peter was going to be brought to the council for his trial, which in reality wasn't going to be much of a trial at all, right? It was just going to be an execution. The night before that was going to happen, it says that that community was in intercession for Peter. It says that Peter was in his cell and he was being guarded. It says that he had, they had put two chains on him. They had guards situated on either side of him in the cell. And it says that altogether there were 16 guards assigned to watching Peter. You might ask why so much security? Well, Jesus rose from the dead, walked out of the tomb, right? That was being guarded. You had, uh, uh, who was it? Peter and uh, Paul and Silas who were in prison, who walked out of the prison. And so Herod's like, these guys have a knack for getting out of these situations, right? So I'm going to put extra guards on them to watch over, over Peter to make sure he doesn't escape. Well, it says that Peter was in the cell and Peter, the night before his execution, is sleeping in his cell. Think about that. He has two chains on him. He has guards all around him, one on each side of him. It's the night before his execution and the dude is catching some Z's. He's sleeping. I don't know about you, but if I have an idea that I might be executed, beheaded the next day. I don't know that I'm sleeping a whole lot, right? But Peter is sleeping in his chains in prison the night before his execution. He was so asleep and at rest that it says the angel came to the room and had to hit Peter. It literally says that the angel struck Peter in his side to wake him up. So the angel strikes Peter in the side and he's like, Peter, it's time to go, man. So Peter stands up and it says that the chains fall off of him. And the Bible says this, that he was, such in, he was so in a state of slumber and sleep that it says that he didn't even know it was real. He thought he was dreaming. 
he didn't even realize he wasn't dreaming until he was outside of the city gates and walking on the road and the angel disappeared. And then he goes, oh, wait a second. This is real. This is really happening. So the chains fall off of Peter. He walks out past all of the guards. He walks through the locked gate and he is a free man. He wakes up. He finally realizes that this is all real. And so he makes his way to the house where his community, where his tribe, where his church family is praying in a season of intercession. He knocks on the door. It says that a young servant girl comes to the door. She doesn't open the door. She just asks who's at the door. And she, it says that when she heard Peter's voice, she got so excited that she didn't open the door for him, but instead she runs back and leaves Peter on the front steps, runs back into the room to tell the believers there that were praying that Peter is at the front door. Now, here's the funny part. None of them believe her. None of them believe her. They're like, yeah, right, whatever. Peter's at the front door. Okay, whatever. They're praying for him to be released and they don't believe her. In fact, they go on and they say, ah, it's probably just Peter's angel. How do you have more faith? Let me say it this way. How many angelic encounters do you have to have to have more faith that it's Peter's angel at the front door rather than Peter himself? So they're like, nah, it's, it's, just his, it's just his angel. So they go to the front door. They let him in. Obviously, Peter is standing there, chains free, walking and walks in. And then Peter goes in and tells them all that had happened, how the angel had woke him up, how the chains had fallen off, how he had walked past all the guards. And they celebrate there that night that God had rescued Peter. But here's the point of the story. Peter was sleeping in prison. He was sleeping with the chains on his wrist. He was sleeping with the guards on either side of him. He was sleeping the night before he was scheduled to be beheaded. How was he sleeping? Peter was able to rest because he had of a community of people interceding for him. He was able to find rest and sleep in the midst of his trial. In the face of death, he was able to rest because he had a fiery community that was not going to rest until they saw Peter set free. Because they, they weren't going to rest until they saw Peter set free. That's what a fiery community does. That when one of our family, one of our people is in a trial, when one of our community members is struggling and has chains on them, when one of them is facing death, we go to a season of intercession and we pray and we become like the servants of Joshua, I believe. Someone might have to correct me who held up the hands, or was it Moses? It was an Old Testament leader. <laughs> who, who said it? What's that? Moses and Aaron. Thanks, Mike. It was Moses and Aaron that, that Aaron held up Moses's arms, that we become that for our community. 
that our people going through trials can rest because they know they have a fiery community behind them interceding on their behalf until there is freedom to be found. Amen. This is what Jesus means when he says, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, I'm not sure why they didn't do that for James. <laughs> maybe, maybe they did start praying for James, but then they, he was beheaded, so they thought, oh, maybe we need to pray a little more. <laughs> so they did that for Peter. But no, a fiery community surrounds one another and prays and believes and carries each other's weight until they experience wholeness. Amen. This is what loving others like Jesus looks like. This is the kind of community that brings people to life. And this is the community that we need to continue to cultivate here at Harmony Christian Church. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. Father, I'm thankful for this fiery community. And God, I just pray that today that we would begin to look more and more and more in your image, Jesus. God, that we would learn how to love each other like you have loved us, Father. Father, we say yes to helping to carry each other's burdens. We say yes, Father, to interceding for those that have found themselves in a situation that they don't know how to get out of. God, we just declare today that this, at this church, is a fiery community that loves one another. God, that others around us would see you through this community, Jesus. God, that they would experience God's love because they have experienced this community, Jesus. That those that would come into this door who are dead spiritually, would be brought to life, not just by the worship, not just by the word, but also by the love that we have for one another. God, we honor you today. We thank you for your presence that's here. And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.